1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Colin, thank you. Father God, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for, um, for Colin. All you need is love. Uh, so John Lennon and Co. sang. Uh, and uh, I've got the words here, which you may or may not have been able to hear. And uh, if you read them out, they're quite um, difficult to understand, really. There's nothing you can do that can't be done, nothing you can sing that can't be sung, nothing you can say but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you in time. It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. And we're following, uh, as I said earlier, we're just coming to the end of a series. And that series uh, is about the father heart of God. Uh, And at the core of that father heart is God's love. The reading that we had this morning uh, is is often used as part of a marriage service. Uh, But as far as I know, no one's going to come walking down the aisle. Um, But just in case you had forgotten, if this happens to apply to you, it may or may not apply, um, but just in case, you know, friendly reminder, on Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Uh, and I have it on good authority. 
uh, that a bunch of flowers uh, reduced because they're nearly out of date, bought on way home from the petrol station, is maybe not as well received as the buyer might have thought they would be. <laughs> Just saying. On the other hand, a big bar of Cadbury's dairy milk would be great. And it was uh, on Valentine's Day 1974 uh, that I had my first date uh, with my now wife, Alison, 49 years ago. And the rest is history, as they say. Uh, as I said earlier, you know, I'm not perfect by any means. Uh, and probably neither is Alison, actually, but there we are. Uh, But I couldn't possibly comment. Yeah, so. But it is the love that we have for each other. And I did check this, I could say this, okay? I did check, I could say this before I did so. So, so it's the love that we have for each other that has sustained us through what have been ups and downs of 43 years, or almost 43 years of marriage. And you know, without that love, would we still be together? I don't know. Possibly not. Love sustaining. And human love isn't always perfect. And human love doesn't always last. So this morning I want us to focus not on human romantic love, but on God's love. As Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is at the core of what God is uh, and what God does and of what God made us. And those words that I just read, they, they can be applied to a relationship which becomes empty and meaningless without love. Love, in the romantic sense, certainly features heavily in our society. Uh, I googled love songs, uh, and in 0.45 of a second, uh, my computer told me that I got 1.8 billion hits. And those love songs cover all aspects of love, from the sublime to the subterranean, from the pure to the pornographic. But in the main, those songs do focus on what we might term this romantic love, a love relationship between two people. There was a saying that I heard uh, this Christmas, and, and I think we've heard it in Christmases before, um, take Christ out of Christmas and you're left with M and S. 
so. Take love out of our conversations and we're just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Take love out of our prophecy or our knowledge, out of our faith, and we're left with nothing. If we give without love, if we suffer for our own sake and without love, we gain nothing. And Paul is speaking about love in a wider sense than simply a relationship between two people. What is, what is Paul saying here? I think the picture I'd like to use is that he's saying that love is like a catalyst. For those of you who know chemistry, you know, a catalyst is something which enables uh, a reaction to take place and yet uh, doesn't get changed itself. Yeah. And, and without that catalyst being there, then the reaction will not take place. You know, and love is like that. If love is not there within the way in which we, we live our lives, then those special God-type reactions won't take place. Love is a catalyst, an ingredient which will fundamentally change the way in which we act, we live, we work, we form relationships, we give, we learn. So what is this love of which Paul is speaking? Let me read some more verses from that passage. Love, he says, is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. This is not just love. And it's certainly not MS love. It is sacrificial love. It is what, what I've, I've termed lived love. Love which permeates, which inhabits, which influences all that we do all that we are, all that we say. Love which is beyond even the most enduring of relationships. We have perhaps all known a couple who have been together for many years, who have been devoted to each other, or perhaps you are in one of those relationships. They're lovely to see and a delight to experience. My son, uh, Jeremy, recently lost his father-in-law, uh, Leo. Uh, he passed away just before Christmas, and he'd been married uh, for well over 50 years uh, to his wife, Joanne, and they were devoted to each other. Uh, and every day, uh, not many of us can live up to this, I don't think, every day, Leo wrote a card to Joanne telling her how much he loved her every day of those 56, nearly 57 years. Uh, and I was messaging Joanne recently, they live in America, and, uh, and she said, I just miss him so much. My life feels empty. A couple that were devoted 
to each other. Incredible love. But the love of which Paul speaks surpasses even those relationships. Why? In 1 John and chapter 4 and verses 7 to 8 we read this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this chapter, Paul focuses on love. But, you know, he drops this, this chapter in. He didn't write it as a chapter, but, you know, he, this, this part of what he was writing uh, is dropped into the middle of, of an ongoing discourse about spiritual achievements. Here in chapter 12, Paul discusses spiritual gifts and presents his analogy of the church as the body of Christ. And this body boasts many gifts and many stations unified under one banner. Yet these many giftings and functions are not enough in and of themselves to sustain the community. And so Paul digresses in chapter 13 to talk about love as that hidden ingredient, as that catalyst, only then to resume his discussion of spiritual life uh, in the next chapter in 1 Corinthians 14. So perhaps you know, later today or, or in this week, you know, read a bit more of, of 1 Corinthians together and just get, get the whole sense of what Paul uh, is saying here. And here he connects love and spiritual gifts to each other, saying, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts. So what's going on? What's the context? Paul writes uh, to the Corinthians in response to a loveless situation. He declares love as the greatest power to a community that seems to be lacking an awful lot of it. This moment is a far cry from the adoring couple standing at the altar declaring unwavering love and devotion to each other. The members of the Corinthian church, uh, to whom chapter 13 and the rest of uh, Corinthians are directed, are not living lives of love for each other. So unlike the marriage vow moment, Paul doesn't introduce this message this passage, sorry, to celebrate a way of life that is already present in the community. He presents this passage as a way to introduce it into the community, an approach to life that is necessary if they are going to survive the muddy waters of difference and disagreement produced in their interpersonal relationships because the Corinthian church was not a unified body. Its members were not all of the same kind and ilk. This was not a comfortable gathering where people fell into set with each other because they shared fundamentally similar lives, values and experiences. Quite the contrary. And you know, perhaps sometimes our church feels like that. 
it doesn't feel all together. Or our relationships with other people don't feel as there's discord there. And the diversity among the Corinthians dissolved into discord. Members divided into contentious groups. They took sides with some, saying they are of one teacher or another. This was a community fragmented rather than enriched by difference. So Paul needed to challenge the Corinthian church, and this is what he's doing. And perhaps there are times when we also need to be challenged. And Paul remains firm that this diversity is non-negotiable. It's what it is. God has called this community to be diverse and to get on with it. And to get along within it. Paul's letter wasn't written to celebrate a unifying love already existing in the community. It was a call to action. It was not a tribute to what is. It was an intervention to instruct on what had not yet come to pass. And Paul's point was not to make the Corinthians feel comfortable and affirmed in love. The letter is meant to motivate a new action plan among the members that secures the community's survival and peace and concord into the future. You know, until this point in the letter, much of Paul's discussion about speaking in tongues, about prophecy, about knowledge, about insight, has affirmed these as ingredients of Christian worship and life. And in this chapter... Paul makes a significant change of emphasis. Not to dismiss those elements, but to diminish the allure of spiritual gifts and functions. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, miracles, servant to the point of death are important, but, Paul says, they still do not qualify as the more excellent way. That's how he begins, just as the last verse of chapter 12. Uh, he's been speaking uh, about uh, spiritual gifts. And he ends that chapter and says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way if I speak in the tongues of men of angels. Love is the key. In verse 8, we read this Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. We've got three grandchildren. We've got three and eight 
ninths, no, even more than that. We've got three and fifty-one fifty-seconds grandchildren, <laughs> with one, we believe, arriving this week. And the two English ones, yeah, we, we see quite a lot of. Yeah. Uh, and and they're, you know, in round terms, I'm going to get it wrong if I get it, a, a couple of years apart. Right. And what we see in their development, yeah, so what we're seeing in the younger one now is what we saw in the older one. Uh, but the older one has moved on from that stage because, because they're going through those stages of development. Yeah. Um, and then they leave that, those stages of development behind them. And the youngest one is just on the verge of, of walking, just, just on the verge. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and at the moment, you know, he'll try that and, and then he'll, he'll, he'll go back to crawling because it's easier. And he's also de developed a really good way of crawling backwards very quickly. <laughs> very impressive. Right, so when he comes to his driving test, he'll be great reversing, I tell you. <laughs> But there will come the point soon when he realises that he, he can leave crawling behind him because his walking stuff is good and, it, and actually it's quicker. You know, and how many of us now crawl? You know, not many, maybe. Depends what the day's been like, maybe. But, but, you know, so. so we move on. We move on. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. God wants to see us moving on. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face <coughs> to face. Your reflections can be great. Not great for me if I look in the mirror really, but there we are. But uh, yeah, I, I put up with it. Yeah, but, but reflections can be really helpful. But they're not quite true. Um, Bev and I, we, we're, we're putting pictures into a, a weekly um, uh, uh, group on Facebook uh, and it has a theme every week and one of the themes recently was reflections uh, and there were all sorts of pictures of reflections up there and, you know, and they were great, artistically they were great but they weren't a true representation of what was being reflected yeah. they, they were there in part in most of them, you could work out more or less what was being reflected. You know. But God is saying, Paul is saying, that there, there will be this point when we don't just see God as a reflection, we see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Go back to what I was saying earlier in the service about that, that picture. You know, God numbers the hairs of our head. God knows every little bit about us. And Paul emphasises the importance of love in this chapter because it is the spiritual resource that the Corinthians lack most. So what sort of love is it? Well, this is not, you know, this is not a passive and fluffy kind of love. Phil Collins sings of a groovy kind of love. When I'm feeling blue, all I have to do is take a look at you, then I'm not so blue. When you're close to me, I can feel your heartbeat. I can hear you breathing in my ear. Ah, wouldn't you agree? Baby, you and me got a groovy kind of love. 
for Paul is not talking about a groovy kind of love. He's talking about a grounded time kind of love, a working kind of love, a love which builds communities, a love which nurtures positive social and interactions, a love which unifies people. The kind of love that I believe sits behind 33 million pounds worth of donations given in one day towards the victims of the Syrian and Turkish earthquake. The kind of love that sits behind the hosting of Ukrainian refugees. The kind of love that sits behind the person who just gives up whatever they're doing for the sake of someone else who is in need. Love is the way by which we talk to each other. We eat with one another. We fellowship together and we affirm each other. Love, God's love, transcends our personal likes and dislikes. It forms people who are anchored in the well-being of others. Love will not let us down if we genuinely live in it together. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. We're going to sing again now. Thank you, Colin.